as a culture, we Americans are taken with or addicted to or obsessed with legal dramas. Now, nobody wants to go to court. Nobody wants to be involved in a lawsuit. But boy, do we like our legal dramas portrayed on television, in the movies, in books. Think about, just from TV and movies, think about Matlock and Perry Mason. And think about books like To Kill a Mockingbird. You've got Law and Order going on. You've got 12 Angry Men if you want to reach back deep into the archives. The list goes on and on. We have always been intrigued and fascinated by legal dramas. We all understand the premise. Evidence is presented. A surprise witness is often introduced. A pivotal bit of testimony turns the tide. The innocent go free, hopefully, and the guilty are punished. At least that's the way it's supposed to go. You'll understand today's message from James if you think about it like a courtroom. Today, we're in a courtroom. Today, James is putting all of us on trial. Here's the question before the court that James is going to present to us today. Would you be found guilty in a court of law of being a Christian? Now, the measurement's not going to be what you say. The measurement is not going to be what you say you believe. But we're going to ask the question, could an attorney present a case solely by watching your life that you follow Jesus? What kind of evidence would an attorney present to a jury and judge? James is doing that to us today. James is telling us all the way through this book, here's what it looks like to be a Christian. So here's the question. Are you guilty or does your life show evidence that you follow Jesus? And James has been clear last week, the week before, the week before that, that what is evidence and what isn't evidence. What, what is, is not evidence is what we say we believe. What also is not evidence is words, comforting words without action, without, without movement of help, with theological knowledge alone, baptisms, raising of hands, walking an aisle, praying a prayer. None of those things in and of themselves are evidence that you follow Jesus. The evidence that we've been seeing is this, actions. And if I were to summarize it in one sentence, it would be this, faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus. Faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus. And so that's what we're going to see, and that's what we're on trial. So we're going to put all of ourselves on trial. Put yourself on trial here today, and I want you not to put someone else on trial. Don't put your husband, don't put your wife, don't put your kids, don't put your parents, don't put that person you're having a Facebook battle with. No, don't put any of them on trial. Let's put ourselves on trial and see if we would be found guilty in a court of law because faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus. We're going to consider James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. So if you have a Bible, follow along as I read from God's Word. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called 
a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask for your help, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we, as we put ourselves on trial, Lord, for those of us that are genuine Christians, Lord, I pray that we would recognize that we're on trial, but we're not on trial alone. For those of us that are not, Lord, I pray that you would pierce today. Lord, I know that there are people here who are, who are listening and they're thinking, man, if I'm a Christian, I'm a weak Christian. I don't want to bury the conscience of the person who's weak, but I do, Lord, want to afflict the conscience of the person that's comfortable. I can't do that on my own. I pray for you to help. In your name we pray, amen. Faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus. Faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus. And James is gonna present his case by showing us two people from the Old Testament who in fact were guilty of following Jesus. And you might think, Old Testament, how is that possible? Jesus wasn't even there. Listen, all genuine faith, all saving faith from beginning to end even before Jesus, was always about Jesus. So these figures looked forward and had faith in Christ before Christ came. That's another conversation for another day. But we're gonna look at two figures. James guides our eyes to two figures who were found guilty of having authentic faith. First, Abraham. Abraham, if you know the Bible, Abraham is one of the towering figures of the Old Testament. He's introduced to us in Genesis chapter 11. So if you want to read about the life of Abraham, go to the end of Genesis chapter 11 and you read all the way through to Genesis 25 and you follow the life and history of Abraham. If you know the story, you'll know what I'm about to review, but let's review it together. God appeared to Abraham who had no children and promised him that he would be the father of many nations. And that sounds like great news. But the problem was, by the time God appeared to Abraham and told him this, Sarah, his wife, was beyond the age of bearing children. So, but God says, you're going to have children. So, believe, so God promised him a son. Abraham believed. And it took 25 years, 25 long years for the long-awaited son, Isaac, to be born. He was born. There's lots of twists and turns along the way. But James draws us to our attention to one particular event. After Isaac was born, he's still a young boy. The Lord decides to test Abraham. He directs Abraham to take Isaac's life on an altar. So he tells Abraham to offer his son, his long-awaited promised son, to kill him on an altar like an animal. And Abraham considered, as he thought about it, he said, well, I guess the Lord can bring him back from the dead. And so what did Abraham do? Abraham obeyed, and before he could take the life of his son, the Lord stopped him. He proved, Abraham proved by his actions that his faith was more than mere words. It was more than just good thoughts. Abraham's faith was validated by his life. He trusted God enough to walk through something that seemed impossible to walk through. And you see, here's what 
James says about that event in verse 22. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. In other words, faith was shown to be real in Abraham's life by what he did. Faith was shown to be real in Abraham's life by what he did. His faith was authentic because he obeyed God. And the proclamation God gave over him earlier was validated that he was declared righteous. Abraham obeyed God at great personal cost, showing his faith to be real. Now James then makes one of the most controversial statements in the entire Bible when he clarifies by what he means, when he clarifies what he means in verse 24. We should stop here and pay attention to what he says. You see that a person is justified, verse 24, by works and not by faith alone. Now, the alarm bells for some of you are going to be going off. And you think, wow, how can that be true? You might think that sounds exactly the opposite of what Paul says in Romans. If you think that, it, on the face of it, is absolutely right. Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says, For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So on the one hand, James appears to be saying and is saying that you are not justified by faith alone, but by works. And Paul seems to be saying you're justified by faith alone and not by works. They sound like polar opposites. Now, as we think about the Bible, this is one of the principles we have when it comes to the Bible. Ask hard questions of the Bible. We should not be afraid to ask, what's going on? What's happening? Why does this seem so confusing? Because it is. Scripture always rewards us for asking hard questions. You may have come from an environment where you weren't encouraged to ask questions. That's not the way it is here at Center Church. What we want to make sure you understand is what the scriptures say. And so if I'm not clear or if someone else isn't clear, we want you to ask questions. And so when we come across places like this in scripture, where we see something that appears to be a complete diametric, two, two verses in the same Bible that appear to be diametrically opposed, we need to put the brakes on things and say, what is going on here? What does this mean? And so is James saying something that contradicts Paul? The short answer is no, but let me explain to you why. Now remember where we are in James. Remember the thrust of our passage. Faith in Christ is shown to be real by doing works for Christ. Faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus. James is telling us what someone's life looks like who has authentic faith in Christ. And Abraham, he says, is one of those examples. He obeyed God at great potential cost. So the implication is those who have authentic faith in Jesus obey even at great personal cost and sacrifice. That's what James is saying. Paul is talking about someone who, Paul is describing how someone gets saved. So look at it this way. James is describing what the saved people look like they do good works. Paul is describing how a person gets saved. They become saved by putting faith in Christ alone without the benefit of any works. Do you see the difference? James does not disagree with Paul in the slightest, but what James wants us to be sure of 
is that the faith we say we have in Jesus is real. Paul doesn't disagree with James either. He wants us all to have genuine faith in Christ. He doesn't want us to walk around with false faith, a faith that is only based in words, a faith that is only based in raising a hand or praying a prayer in the past, a faith that's only based in things like that that is not genuine. He wants us to put ourselves on trial and recognize recognize that we must have real faith that looks a certain way in our life. We must Real faith in Jesus means that we will do works for Jesus. So it's like this, if we were to summarize. Faith without good works leads to salvation. But saving faith always leads to a life of good works. Do you see the difference? Faith without good works, that leads to salvation. Faith in Christ without good works leads to salvation. Saving faith leads to good works for Christ. And that's the point. Faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus in our lives. We don't want to have an empty faith. And what we need to do is look at our lives. Remember, we're the ones being put on trial here. Would you be found guilty of following Jesus by the way you obey? Do you obey the Lord with how you speak? Do you obey the Lord with how you spend your money? Do you obey the Lord with how you think about your reputation, how you serve other people, how you orient yourself away from yourself? Are there examples in your life where you're postponing obedience or just completely living a double life of complete disobedience? James would want you to recognize that if you're comfortable living a life marked by disobedience, you should not consider yourself to have real faith. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Abraham, he was guilty of having genuine faith. James is now going to point us to someone else who is guilty of having genuine faith. Someone very, very different from him. We go from Abraham to Rahab. Look at verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? Rahab the prostitute. Now, in Scripture, when she's mentioned after the fact, she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. You can see this in Matthew chapter 1. Rahab the prostitute. Not, not Rahab the bold, not Rahab the lady from Jericho, not Rahab the brave, but Rahab the prostitute. But she, according to James, is another example of someone who has authentic faith or had authentic faith. Now let's remind ourselves of her story. If you want to read it for yourself, you can read about it in Joshua chapter 2. Rahab lived in the great walled city of Jericho. She became convinced that Israel's God was God as she heard the reports of God's exploits as the army marched across the Jordan and came toward Jericho. So when the spies from Israel came to scout out the walled city of Jericho, she took them in. When people When people came to try to find them, she hid them, and she led them out by a different way. She helped the spies escape, and even denied that she knew where these spies were to the king of the city. She knew that the city would be destroyed, but she acted acted on behalf of the nation, thereby acting for God. This woman acted on faith. And it is an example that James pointed to. 
Abraham proved his, proved his faith by his actions. So did Rahab. Now, do you realize that one of the things that's fascinating here is that James would compare Abraham and Rahab. Now, to the original readers, that comparison would never come up. They wouldn't think, oh, you know what? Two examples of genuine faith that we're looking at are Abraham and Rahab. They are polar opposites. Abraham was a man. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He was respected. He was the founder of Judaism. Rahab was a prostitute. Not just a prostitute, but a Gentile. Not just a Gentile, but an outcast in her own Gentile society. And yet, James highlights her as being someone with authentic faith, a faith that was not dead, a faith that, a faith, a, a belief in God that moved her to act on that belief. Now, what conclusions can we draw from him bringing up Rahab? We have another sighting of grace here. See, if you were listening to this and thinking, I could never measure up, it's not about measuring up. Here, what's Rahab's background? Rahab's background is that she was a prostitute. She sold herself. She was a prostitute, and yet she had, when she put faith in God, when she put faith in God, she had genuine faith that led her to act on that faith, and so thereby proved that her faith was real. So if you're watching this or listening to it, and you're thinking, well, I'm disqualified because of these choices I've made in the past, or there's no way that God could find what I do worthy, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. All of us can find ourselves somewhere on the spectrum between Abraham and Rahab. The point is not who you are. The point is who you have faith in and how you work that out. So are you from a bad background? Are you more like Rahab than you are Abraham? That's fine. You can put faith in Christ today, right now. You can put faith in him right this moment. Genuine faith and begin to live a life of obedience following him. You can absolutely do that. You're not disqualified. But the point is, the point is for James here is this. Whether we're Abraham or Rahab or anybody in between, when we, we can't just say we put faith in Jesus. We have to trust him and live to follow him. Rahab was guilty of being a follower of Jesus. Abraham, guilty of being a follower of Jesus. Are you? Are you? Does your life, does your life reflect that you are mastered by Jesus? Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. We are not our own. We have been bought. Christians, we have been bought with a price. Jesus has paid our debt. If we were to go stand in a court of law in front of God, all of us would be proclaimed guilty and worthy of death. But someone has stood in our place for us to take that punishment, to take upon himself our sin and the punishment for that sin. And now, Christians, our call is not just to revel in that forgiveness and, and, and just 
and, and think that grace means we don't have to do anything else. No, our call now is to be a people who are defined by our faith in Christ. That's our call. That's our mission. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be a people who are marked by an authentic faith in Christ that you can see by the way we live. See, that's one of the reasons we've subtitled, you know, our, our, um, the mission of our church in three words is that we're fixed on Jesus. See, we're called to be fixed on Jesus. Our temptation is to be fixed on ourselves. Our temptation is not to look at him, but we want to look at him and recognize he has purchased us. Therefore, we belong to him. And so, following him, obeying him, obeying his commandments, they're not a burden. It's a pleasure because we have the opportunity to follow him. See, our call is to trust Jesus wholeheartedly. And how can we not? Look at what he's done for us. He has proven himself to be trustworthy. And so, is there an area of your life that you're postponing obedience? Or maybe think about it like this. If someone were to follow you around for a month, would they find you guilty of being a Christian by the works you do? There's two categories for us today as we wrap, wrap up. Two categories for us to think about. One, those of, us, those, of, those of us that have dead faith. That means you're not saved. You're not a Christian. If you have empty faith, you're not a Christian. The call, even if you're a Rahab, the call for you today is put your trust in Jesus. Ask for him to forgive you. Ask for him to take away the punishment for your sin. Give yourself to him wholeheartedly and say, I'm yours. That's the call for you. Even if you know a lot of theology, even if you've been around church for a long time, even if you have a hit, you've been baptized or whatever, those things alone are not markers for confidence or assurance. If you look at your life honestly and say, I wouldn't be found guilty of being a Christian, you need to ask, am I? And if you're not, put faith in him. Those, the other category of people is those of us that are genuinely saved but are convicted and we recognize, man, there's a lot of ways that my life is not measuring up. Now, that's going to be true for all of us. That's going to be true for every person among us. We're all going to think, man, I could be so much better a Christian. That's not what James is pointing at here. He's not saying you need to be Christian 3,000. He's saying... Are you doing works that prove you are following Jesus and mastered by him? Could you do more? Absolutely. But that's not the question. Is your life and the pattern of your life one of obedience? Now, maybe there's an area that you're thinking, man, I could do better here, here, and here. Take that to the Lord. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. But as Christians, as Christians, our call is to remember that faith in Jesus is proven by works for Jesus. Obedience, but also good works. And I've seen so many of you, be, you doing these in this time of the pandemic. And praise God for that. All the more. As we've stopped as a society and and you know, some of us are getting stir-crazy. Some of us are um, just, you know, can't wait for this to be over. 
may we be a people who evaluate ourselves and say, what do I want to be like on the other side? Here's what I want to be. I want to, have, I want to be a person who has faith in Christ that's authentic and genuine and does works for Jesus on a regular basis. I want that to be the testimony about me. I want that to be what, what, all, what typifies Center Church. May it be. Lord, I pray for all of us. None of us are what we should be. Only you are, Jesus. But I pray that you would birth in all of us a desire to want to honor you at the most fundamental basic level. May we be a people who love you and follow you and trust you even when it's hard. In your name we pray.